Okay, um, tonight I decided to go ahead and print out the outline. We got some extra ones? Okay, well maybe we can hand them out at Hardy's. Okay, yeah, um, spread the word. But uh, I decided to go ahead and print off um, the, our outline tonight so that you can kind of follow along and we'll have all this uh, on the internet as well. But um, tonight is going to be uh, tied into next week. Um, how many of you have ever thought... The thought has occurred to you, okay, we've heard ever since we were kids, if you were raised in church, that God is a good God, right? God is a loving God. But then we kind of encounter those verses in the Bible about God's, um, oh goodness, use the W word, God's wrath, right? Like we see this whole picture that God is good and he loves us, and, and then we see this picture of God's justice and even his judgment and his wrath. So how are we supposed to put those together? Well, we're going to discuss that next week, okay? So, uh, but before we do that, we're going to try tonight to get our minds around the greatness of God. Because all of God's attributes, his, his love, um, His holiness, His justice, His power, all of that, it stems from who God is. And when we think about the question um, of the greatness of God, we're just going to run through about five of these tonight. And that's on your outline of what God is. Uh, the first here is from John chapter 4, verse 21. And we have most of the verses there, so you don't have to feel lost flipping around the whole night. But the first aspect is that God is spirit. John 4, 21, Jesus said to her, uh, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship uh, the Father. But then he goes on to say, uh, Those who worship me must worship me in Spirit and in truth. So also Psalm 139 verses 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or, or the grave, you are there. Okay? So that's a pretty big picture of the fact that God is spirit. Now, also, on this, we studied this a couple of weeks ago. Jeremiah 23 verse 24 God says, uh, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. 1 Kings 8.27. This is really interesting because this is what Solomon says when they're uh, coming to the point where they're dedicating the temple. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. So the Jewish people understood that the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies, which was the inner part of the temple. But they understood that the temple could never contain God. The earth can't contain God. Even heaven and earth can't contain the power of God because God created all of that. And um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 1.15 he, this is speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this word here, image, in the original language, is the word uh, where we get our English word, icon. Like when you stamp a coin, the coin was stamped with the image of someone. So that means that when we see Jesus and everything that he did, Jesus is God in the flesh. The old age-old question of people wondering... Imagine being people thousands of years ago with no street lights, no big city, um, you know, illumination, and just looking out at the stars at night and wondering who's out there, right? 
Like, not, not the UFO question, okay? There, there wasn't a lot of silliness, but like, who brought all of this into existence? Who is in control? And when Jesus came to live his life on the earth, Jesus was saying, this is who God is like. I am the image of God. I am literally the son of God. So that's a huge thing, especially when we talk to uh, people from different religious backgrounds. They're always asking the question, who is God? The Bible says that Jesus is the image of what kind of God? The what? Invisible. Now right there, um, we're going to uh, deviate here. Uh, Anybody know who this is? We'll cut down the lights and have a little Q&A. Anybody want to take a stab at who that handsome young fellow is? I heard a few. What's that? I heard whispers. Joseph Smith. Bingo. All right. You win the prize, Heather. It is Joseph Smith. Anybody tell me what movement or what religious group uh, slash cult did Joseph Smith start? The Mormons. Okay. Now, We've looked at a few verses from the Bible that tell us things like God cannot be contained in one place, right? That God is great, that God is immeasurable. And also we've looked at verses that say that God is invisible, that God is a spirit. But this is what Mormonism teaches. Um, And this is from the Mormon book, Doctrines. Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 130, verse 22. And uh, Joseph Smith writes, God has a body. Or actually, that's the preface. He said, quote, The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. So Mormonism teaches, contrary to what the Word of God teaches, that God is not a spirit. He's not this invisible, amazingly great being, but he has, what's it say? A body of flesh and bone as tangible or as real or as human as ours. Mormonism also teaches that as God is, see, how does does it go? As man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. So Mormonism has maybe a little bit of trouble here in this sense. What types of problems, let's use our noggins on this, uh, what types of problems would there be for an all-powerful God who has an actual body? He could die. Okay. All right. He could, he could die. All right. He'd be Very good. It'd be limited in what sense if God had a body? Okay, and omnipresent is? Everywhere at once. Very good, very good. We all tracking with that? If God is limited to an actual body, um, he's got a lot of actual issues. What are some other, what maybe some problems there for saying that God is great in the sense that he's all powerful if God has a body? Whether it's a physical body, or, or whatever it's made up of, or some super type of, of, of muscle fiber, or whatever it is, just a, a body. You don't have to go into which type. In other words, God and who he is is limited to this thing called God's body. Who made Okay, all right, because something physical has to come from... Okay, good. Um, 
Now let's kind of change it a little bit. I want you to talk with me about why is it important, we're talking about for the biblical definition of God. And this is something that you, you can talk to atheists, um, atheist philosophers, and they all agree that if God does exist, they use this phrase, he is a maximally great being, which means the maximum of the maximum of the maximum of the maximum, and that is God. Why is it important that God is spirit as opposed to made up of flesh and blood like us? I think we touched on a couple of them, but why would it be important for you to be the one great true God being comprised of spirit as opposed to flesh and blood? Do we have that in the outline? Okay. What was that again, Cyrus? It would grow up. Okay, yeah, I think we have these. Okay, good, yeah. Um, growing old. In other words, God is not destructible. Subject to, if you're going to talk to a super nerd, you throw out the term entropy, right? Thermodynamics, which means anything that's physical after a while, it's going to go down. We can just all look at pictures from when we were, you know, younger, except for Bryce, you're still, you know, Lindsay and the rest of you are still on your way up. Um, but uh, all of us can understand that if God is spirit, then he's not subject to physical harm like us. And number two, he's not limited, and I think you touched on this, Trish, limited to a specific region of space-time. If God has a body, then there are some places, theoretically, that you could actually hide from God. Remember when you were a kid, I don't know if you all ever did this, you probably didn't, but when you got in trouble... And either your mom or your dad, depending on which one was the disciplinarian or whether they kind of tag-teamed it WWF style in terms of the spankings, but they said when you get home or when your mom gets home or when your dad gets home, you're going to get a whipping. And you went and you tried to do something that was utterly futile. We did, what did we do? We tried to hide in the, in the house that mom and dad bought or built, right? That's, that's brilliant, isn't it? But think about this. If God has a body... God actually has to travel, doesn't he? Now, even if we say that God has God-powered travel, like God can be super fast, even the speed of light, okay? 186,000 miles per second. That's trucking. It means that God could be over on this end of the universe, but he's not over here. So if you can hide in some deep, dark valley and do like Iran is doing, um, and they say that it's peaceful, but it's really interesting when you can look at images from Google Earth about um, things going on in the desert and say, well, there was a factory plant-looking thing, but now there's earth on top of it, and now there's more earth, and now there's nothing there. My goodness, what's happening? So all of that, we can think if God has a body, we could possibly hide from him. And then that begs the question, could someone ever mount a revolution, ever mount a revolution against God? And if so, would they be able to do it and win against him? And we know that that's not possible according to um, the Bible. But right here, I want to deal with an objection that you, sometimes we may get. Somebody sit and they say, okay, now Jeff, you say that, um, we say that God is spirit, right? Amen? I mean, that's what the Bible says. He's spirit. But how can a spirit really exist without a body? Like, even if we use the definition that God is like an unembodied mind, like he's a spirit, he's a personal, he's a personality, but, but he doesn't have a body, how can, how can that really exist without a body? 
We all tracking with that together? Okay. And once again, when we're talking about God, we're talking about Him as a, as a person, right? And, and here, here's, here's actually um, something that, and we've got all this, I think it's in your notes if you want to go look it up on the internet. It's a really, really great article. And uh, unlike some that we have on there, it's only about three or four pages, so you won't spend the rest of your life researching one uh, subject. But this is a, a really smart guy named Stuart Goetz. Um, you have to end up teaching at uh, somewhere with a name like that. And uh, he said, there is no place in the cerebral cortex where electrical stimulation will cause a patient to decide. Now let me back up right here. How many of you have ever seen like the science uh, channel where they're doing brain work on a person? And they can take an instrument and press on a certain part of the brain and they'll say to the, to the person, to the, the patient, tell me your name. Jeff Robinson, tell me your name again. And they press on the part of the brain that deals with that function and we're not able to function. So the argument here is this. A lot of times atheists will come and they say, now hold on, you Christians say that God is a spirit, no body, no physical reality caused all of physical reality to come into existence. That doesn't make any sense because... The mind is the same thing as the brain. Okay? Now, we don't believe as Christians that the soul, some people call it the mind or, or who we really are, is the same thing as the brain. You know why? Our brain works based upon stimulus, doesn't it? Chemicals. And here's the scary thing. Do you, do you know if God doesn't exist, then our mind is the same thing as our brain. And that means that we really don't have any free choice. That means that we don't ever decide to do anything. That means what we do, our brain simply does because it has the chemicals that makes it do this action or this action. But it's really interesting that this this top scholar said that there's no place in the cerebral cortex, the, the brain, where electrical stimulation will cause a patient to decide. In other words, to make an actual decision. He also says, in light of his work as a neuroscientist, he's quoting this other scholar named Penfield, concludes the following, For my own part, after years of striving to explain the mind on the basis of brain action alone, okay, if God doesn't exist, if the mind is the same thing as the brain, I've come to the conclusion that it is simpler and far easier and logical if one adopts the hypothesis, check this out, that our being, you and I, does consist of two fundamental elements. And do you know what the Bible has said for thousands of years? We are made up of body and soul. And it's absolutely breathtaking to me that some of the top researchers in neuroscience and neurobrainology and all of that have told us that our research concludes that even though we understand that you can affect the brain by certain things, that there's something different, something deep within a person that depending on who they are, what they believe will cause them to choose this action as opposed to this action. So this right here, you can quote that to any person who says, well, how can a mind exist without a body? Say, well, the top researchers in neurobiology um, today hold the belief that the mind, 
In other words, what we really believe, what we really decide, who we really are, is not the same thing as the brain. And that for us as believers should be, I don't know, I think that's kind of a scientific confirmation that the Bible is the word of God. Because they call it the mind, the Bible calls it the soul, who we really are. And that's an incredible, I think just this tonight, if we stop there for just a moment, even if we may not understand all of how this works, this is a scientific high five to the Bible that we are not just made up of chemicals, we're not just bodies, but we're made up of body and soul. Any, any comments right here before we move on? Any questions? Um, and I included this in the notes. That's the reasons for what we just spoke about, the scholars' reasons for um, that claim. But um, we'll move on. Um, God is not only spirit, okay? That's the reason why we can believe that God is great. But God is also living uh, versus dead idols. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 and 11 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Okay? Um, and... Last night at the Tabernacle of Praise Church, when I would reference something like that, people would shout and holler. So are y'all, y'all with me tonight? Okay. And um, it, was, it was awesome. It was awesome. I gave the pastor a high five in the middle of the sermon, and they had people in the back, you know, doing that. It was, it was awesome. And uh, so I don't want to get too sidetracked. We've got a lot to do. But uh, the everlasting king. Yeah. And his wrath, at his wrath, the earthquakes. And we're going to get into this question next week, okay? I know we've probably got, in this talk tonight so far, so many questions are popping up. We're not able to answer. Next week, we're going to look at God's love and God's wrath. So don't let this throw us off, okay? And by the way, don't ever feel guilty when you have questions. Because you know what that means? It means that you're thinking about it. You know what scares me as a pastor and people? Okay, yeah. Right, right. And nothing ever, you know, you, you could say, God is real. Okay. God is not real. Okay. You know, it's just like, are, are, we, are we engaged? You know, are we even here? So, so questions are cool. Um, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Verse 11, uh, thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And throughout the Old Testament, um, you see some very raw, some very non-church language that's employed by prophets against false idols. In fact, if we could really break into, um, what was it, Mount Carmel and the 400 prophets of Baal, remember what they did? They were cutting themselves to try to get Baal, the false god, to send down fire to consume the sacrifices. Well, what did Elijah do? Did he stand back and say, as a proper minister would today, well, these are our separated brethren and we're just waiting for them to come to the knowledge of the truth. He used some rather crude language, and I'm not going to go into it, that said basically the reason why your God has not yet sent fire is because your God is attending to his daily needs. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, the prophets who are speaking under the... This amazing thing, thought for us is somewhat, at least for some of you... um, Proper people. Some of you have good manners. I'm trying to work on that. But it kind of strikes us very, very wrong that people would make fun of the concept that you can take a dead piece of inanimate object and worship it like it gave you life. 
Have you ever thought about that? Looking at idol worship and you see people or just one person kneeling down at this dead idol that could be kicked over. And they're actually giving homage to that. They're giving honor to the idol. I mean, what, what, what type of, let's just be honest here tonight. What types of thoughts come into your mind when you've seen idolatry before? <coughs> Okay, and the towards would be? Towards the object. Okay. Not actually worshiping the object, but they just need a direction. Okay. Okay, okay, I get you. Yeah, good. And actually, um, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. That's a great point. That actually in Hinduism, this is very interesting. You read any, any contemporary world <laughs> religions book, and, and in, in Hinduism, they, they worship the idols, but it's not so much that. They believe that the demon uh, lives in the idol itself. And there's actually a lot of areas in, in India to where you have places that are designated to that spirit. And that's kind of like in the Old Testament, they believed that the spirit of God um, was not contained within the temple. But the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was in a certain sense. Um, pagans believe that often um, that that's where a particular spirit lives, not, not the spirit of, of God. But it is amazing that when we look in world cultures, people are always trying to worship something, aren't they? except for most of the time in, in modern America. But let, let's just stop here for just a second. Do you think that there's any correlation between our materialism today and idolatry of ancient cultures? Materialism? I think it does not mean that we will end up worshiping something. We'll worship our own intellect, or we'll worship someone else's envision of why God doesn't exist. I mean, I, I feel like atheism is very much a religion. That okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Not that atheism is good, but good, good presentation of that. Yeah, be, be clear about that. Right, right, right. Good. Yeah, and that's true. Uh, but, but let's just stop here for just a second. I think often we as, as enlightened people, and by that I'm, I mean educated, um, whether I mean a person goes through the sixth grade here, they're going to understand that I'm not supposed to, it doesn't make a lot of sense, quote-unquote, it's not reasonable for me to worship an idol that I, as it says in the book of Jeremiah, it's really interesting, it says that you go to the forest, you chop down a tree, you drag the tree back to your shop, back to your land, and then you take a carving tool and you carve from the tree an idol, you prop up the idol, and then you worship the idol like it gave you life. But do you think that there's any correlation with the way that we value things in the U.S.? as opposed to people. Remember what Augustine said? He says, people are not things to be used. Very interesting. It's very interesting, because we can identify things in different cultures. We can be on that um, all night. So here's, um, here's an uh, objection here. For someone to say, okay, well, we believe, you Christians say that God is alive, but we're alive, so what's the difference? That's somewhat of a simple Objection. Anybody want to take a stab at that? Shoot from the hip. We're, we're alive because God sustains us. He doesn't allow anything to sustain us. Amen. Amen. You said, once again, was it? We're alive because God sustains our lives. 
Okay. Good. Excellent. Yep, that's it. That's the and you hit it hit it right here. So this this goes credit to Fred. Um, God is not dependent on any outside source. We are dependent on God. And here's the third point. I would like you to maybe underline that or note that. In today's materialistic culture, so many people I think are like you mentioned, Susan, they're searching for something, right? People don't just sit back. Even if it's a person who says, I don't care, I'm just going to get drunk every night, that is the point of their existence, to get drunk every night for the purpose of what? So I don't have to think about my problems for a few hours. That is the point. But when we understand that God is living and that God brought everything into existence, it means that God, that true life is found in God. It's very interesting when you read the New Testament um, In the original language, there there are two words for life. One is bios, where we get our word biology, which means just physical life. The other is zoe. And um, I know there's some girls that are named zoe. That is the New Testament word for the true life of God when a person gets born again and they begin to follow God and love God. That's where true life is found. It's only in God. Because if we think about it, if we live for anything other than than for God and His glory and to love Him and serve Him, everything else one day is going to be dust or rust, right? Even even in the context of a marriage relationship, if it's just, I love you, I love you, but it's not, I love you because we're serving the Lord together, in the end, people die. And if there's not something that's going to last beyond that, then the marriage, in one sense, is not like the Alan Jackson song, forever and ever, amen. Okay? but it's something that's going to be very temporal. So in everything that we do, we understand that true life, um, actually, that's not that's a typo, true live. You caught that, Miss Betty. You, okay, thank you. You're so polite. I, I noticed you back there shaking a little bit, you know, school teacher coming out. Yeah, true live is found in God. My goodness, okay. John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Um, <clears throat> We're going to go a little bit further here so we can get through. God is personal. Um, He has a name, I am, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He relates to us uh, pre-fall in the Garden of Eden. It says that he walked with Adam in the garden. I mean, what a picture of a personal, unbroken relationship. Um, Also, uh, number four, God is infinite. And let's stop right here for just a moment. Have you ever tried thinking about forever? Let's kind of share our thoughts. Have you ever tried to think about forever? Let's just share, maybe if you're comfortable, um, like, what was that like? What types of things came to mind? What did your mind do after maybe 20 or 30 seconds? Or if you're... Okay. (laughs) Headache. can't fathom it. I mean, for me, I almost got to the point where I was was scared. I don't know if that ever happened to you. You try to think about forever and how it's going on and on and and it does even something good because it's something that's so foreign to us. I mean, everything ends, even sometimes Pastor Jeff's sermons on Sunday mornings. So... um, The thought process here, when we try to think of something that doesn't have an end, that's one thing. But try to think about God 
as Scripture presents him, and we don't have time to get into the philosophy of this, but this is very, very popular in a number of philosophy departments around um, the U.S., that it is logical to believe that God is spirit, that he's not physical, and that God always has existed, and that at a time in the past, God brought everything that did exist and does exist into existence. But think about not only something going on forever in the future, but something that's never had a beginning. An uncaused cause, an unmoved mover. Anybody blowing a cork? Okay. I think that's the reason why you have the whole thing about creation being the reason why no one has an excuse to not know about God. Because you can look up in the skies, you know it goes on, from our perspective, forever. Hmm. And then the question always is, well, at the end of the universe, what's on the other side? Or before the beginning of the universe, what was before that? Mm Mm-hmm. And no mm-hmm. one can answer it. And that's something that you can see with your own two eyes. Right. right. So if you can't really fathom that on just a flesh level, how can you explain God any other way than infinite? Hmm. Good, good succinct answer, Michael. Um, God, God is... Try to, try to get through with this here. We always run out of time. And I even cut back tonight because I said I want to be able to get all this in and I don't think that we will. So... Uh, God is infinite in space. Miller Erickson says, and I love this quote, there is no place where he cannot be found. What a good quote. And I think that that, that if we can pray this for our brothers and sisters under persecution right now, and communist areas of the world, and heavily Muslim areas in the world, that that the Lord would impress upon their hearts that there is no place where he cannot be found. And also, there is no place we can go beyond God's accessibility. Our our discussion earlier about God having a body and being able to hide from God, the fact that God is infinite, and there are the verses there in your outline to look up about this, there's no place that we can go that God cannot access. And furthermore, there's no place that we can go to where God does not see. Now, for a person who is running from God, what do you think that this image invokes? Praise God, amen, or oh my? What's that? Terror. Terror, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's like God is the great cosmic policeman and I'm the great cosmic criminal. But when a person comes to the point where they realize that the judge has paid the penalty for them and they receive grace through faith, they receive the sacrifice of Jesus, they're born again. The sovereignty of God and the greatness of God and the fact that God is infinite is no longer a thing of great fear, but it's a thing of great comfort. Because that's why Jesus said at the end of Matthew, um, what was it? What was the extent? I will never leave you, nor forsake you, even until the end. And you can translate that temporally or physically, even to the end of the age or the end of the world. It is an incredible promise of great comfort. For every Christian, there's no valley that they can go to where God is not. There's no prison that they can be cast into that God is not. There's no, I guess you could say, dark night of the soul to where the Lord is not there able to deliver them. So to close this, um, we're going to look at the great city of Denver, Colorado, um, home of Tim Tebow for now. (laughs) 
Okay? All right, and I don't know if you guys have ever noticed in, in the Gospels when the disciples were talking about which one will sit with you in the kingdom. Actually, that's going to be Tim Tebow, not um, Peter or John. Just kidding. Okay, this is, this is Denver. I'm totally kidding. This is Denver, Colorado at night. We're looking at it from above. This is the earth. Looking at it from space. We're going to have to skip this right here. I'm going to go all the way to the end. This is a parade. The Macy's Parade with Spider-Man. One of the greatest illustrations that I've ever heard for us understanding about God and time and space. They said that God created all time and space. But God is not limited like we are in time and space, but it's as if, and we can remember looking at Denver, Colorado, we can see the streetlights, we can see the power grid. Back up a little bit further, we can see the whole planet Earth. Imagine going outside of, as you mentioned, Michael, what's beyond the universe. Imagine being able to view the whole universe, every person, all everything in history. Imagine viewing history like this. And seeing every person to the point that you can say with certainty that God knows how many hairs are on every person's head and God notices even if a little bird falls to the ground. And as we watch things like the Macy's Parade, if you watch parades, and we notice all those people, imagine the love it would take for an infinitely holy, powerful God to not look at a parade, but to see, as John Piper said, human history as a as a conveyor full of body bags people doing horrific things to one another and say you know what all of them know in their heart that this is wrong but all of them pursue sin all of them reject me but because of my great power and because of my great love I'm going to go down into not the Macy's parade not a place of nice people but into the muck and the mire of a sinful world, and I'm going to become, I'm not going to lead them, I'm just going to become one of them and allow myself to be killed by them, then I'm going to be raised from the dead, and through death, I'm going to lead them to life. And that's how great God really is. So I pray that this study has encouraged you, and uh, let the sovereignty of God, let the greatness of God be an encouragement to you as you walk in Him. So let's pray uh, before we go. Father, we thank you so much for your great word and how powerful it is. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to be witnesses for you, that you would help us to make disciples. And God, you would help us to just be bold in reaching those people that we know are lost without you. And we thank you for pursuing us, even though we didn't deserve it. And we praise you for your great love. In your name we pray. Amen.